Hey everybody, this is episode 11 of Pankashi MiCast. I'm Scott Martinek. I'm Brian Bonner. And with us today is a very special guest, our good friend, Mark Gagliardi. Hi, fellas. Yeah. Hey. What's up, good friends? Welcome. Good to see you guys. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> Baba boy. Baba boy. Oh. <laughs> is that what we're resorting to now? Yep. All right. <laughs> Maybe we'll finally get some listeners. Um, Mark, yeah. <laughs> so we just we just watched uh, your first Takashi Miike film. This was my first time ever watching a Takashi Miike film. Um, did you have any expectations at all? I went in not knowing anything about this uh, about this director, uh, and I I also go into this having I admit this is terrible of me having never seen a Japanese movie before. So this movie is now the barometer by which I determine what a, what makes a movie Japanese and not American. (laughs) I would think the first indicator would be Japanese people, right? Japanese people, (laughs) subtitles. Um, but in this case also, I assume they're all musicals. I assume they all have a sumo wrestler show up. (laughs) <laughs> They're yeah, all yeah. just subgenre movies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, we should say that the movie that we just watched was uh, Happiness of the Katakuris, which is one of the the first Miyake movies I ever saw and still one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, so I you said that it, it was terrible that you'd never seen a Japanese film before. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's terrible necessarily. Um, I, it feels I, so now because I liked this one. Yeah, I I find it hard to believe that you haven't seen a single Japanese movie. Before yeah, I, I really haven't. Uh, I can't think of any that I've seen. Like not even any uh, Kira Kurosawa? No, no. I saw like what? a scene where a, a dude got shot up with arrows. Uh, that's describing a lot of Japanese movies. That's fair. <laughs> was it, a, uh, it was a Kurosawa film? Yes, it was like his version of Macbeth, right? Yes, that yeah. um, that was Throne of Blood. Mm-hmm. Yes, Throne of Blood. I saw that scene from oh, Throne okay. of Blood, and I went, "This is this looks uh, this is dangerous." What these guys are putting themselves through. <laughs> that I'm going to go back to watching Jennifer Aniston movies. <laughs> it, it's funny that where you the most that. dangerous it gets is someone running in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that was a dangerous film. Actually, they were shooting actual arrows at him. I did. You know what? I yeah. assumed so. Uh, but I, I thought I'd be crazy for trying to bring it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not a Miike film at all. No. Um. I told, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Mike. <laughs> M-I-I-K-E. It's a Starbucks cup version <laughs> of Mike. Mike. Yeah, but it's, it's two eyes, so it's Mike. Yeah, Mike. 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 <laughs> Uh, everybody's favorite fucking friend, yeah. Mike! What up? What up? Mike. <laughs> uh, but yes, I did watch it and I did, uh, thoroughly enjoy my first Mia K experience. Good, I'm glad. I, um, I thought this would, would be a good one to start you off on because, one, it's not as extreme as some of his other films. Let me stop you there. <laughs> 
This is not extreme. Oh, no. no. This is not extreme at all. This is tame. This is pretty tame. This um, movie was an insane fever dream of styles and genres and action and insanity. That's just par for the course when we're talking about Miyake. The extreme that I'm referring to is maybe like the over-the-top violence and gore. That oh, he does some gory pe- movies? Some of his oh, movies are, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. I really, I come into this really blind. Yeah. Guys. No, that's great. No, I'm glad we got you in on this one, because uh, if we get you on another episode, I want it to be a gory one. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, next time we'll actually try to break you. Yeah, no, you'll, um, you'll have nightmares. We should make that like a dual Mark Juven episode and watch them just fucking scream in horror. <laughs> the yeah, people who've never. Yeah, we had uh, Juven on our on our last episode where he mm-hmm. watched a movie that was much stranger than this. Okay. Um, Story wise, so you because... felt I couldn't handle it. No, no, is no. Is that no. it? You're like, uh, let, let's. Uh, Juven's Juven's okay. He can handle one of the gory ones. Let's give Mark the one that looks like the sound of music and no, like an idyllic hill. That that was the thing. Like giving the, your theater. Background. I am a I'm a musical nerd. Yeah, so I like this musicals. this movie is a musical, yeah. and that's one of the main reasons why I thought it would be a good one for you to be on. Because, I appreciate that. Yeah, because you're like a musical guy. You've sure. been in musicals. You enjoy watching musicals. The next movie, making my way through the Disney canon. No kidding. I'm doing it chronologically. Mm-hmm. Is Cinderella? Oh, see, yep. there you go. Perfect. Yeah, see? I feel you. Let's get into what this movie's about. Um, yeah, what is this movie about? It's about it's about a family. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's honestly, it's about yeah. a family that gets in over their head mm-hmm. and tries to dig their way out of it. Literally, mm-hmm. um, yeah. There's a lot of digging in this. Terrible, so much digging. terrible, random things that I thought would eventually cohese. Is that a word? Cohere. Uh, cohere. Thank you. I like cohes. Cohes. These things would cohes into. <laughs> that sounds like a medical term. Like, yeah. Quick, somebody strap him down. He's going to cohes. Cohes. I just cohes and I'm going to need more sheets. Cohes sounds like. You got a like towel? A... I just cohes. <laughs> sounds like a guy that hangs out with Mike. Yeah. Mike and cohes. <laughs> In the mornings on 97.1, it's cohes and Mike. <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, there was some scatological humor in this motion yes, picture. There was. Yeah. That's also par for the course for me. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, that's one thing I wanted to ask about is uh, is this considered a comedy? Is this? I what, would say so. Yeah. Okay, because there are really funny parts to it, and they're really yeah. broad funny parts to it. I I kind of pitched this to you beforehand <laughs> as a, as a horror musical, and. It's really not so much a horror film. There's some very mm. dark elements, but it is, yeah, it's much more of a, a dark comedy. Uh, so I feel yeah, like it's <laughs> like Murder She Wrote meets Wes Anderson meets a musical. <laughs> sure. I, I don't can get, see that. I don't yeah. get the murder she wrote necessarily. The colors are bright. Well, there's a bright color. It looks like, it looks like her weird, uh, universal backlot town that she lived <laughs> right? in. Right. Fair right. Enough. Uh, and you know, there's death. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Oh, thanks for tying up that loose end for me. We're on the same page now. Yeah, murder she wrote. Um, alright, so this movie opens with a terrific little prologue that I think right off the bat you were probably wondering what the hell have, have we gotten into. Well, you definitely shoved me into the deep end with the beginning of this movie. Yeah, so, uh, there's a sequence at the start of the movie that involves 
a woman eating in a fancy restaurant that has this sort of French bistro vibe. It's very fancy looking and there's a lot of elegant people sitting around. And this woman is eating soup and she kind of notices there's something odd about it. And so she sticks her fork into the soup and pulls out this, what I would describe as maybe an aborted cherub. It's like yeah. this weird... <laughs> it looks like a cherub that was aborted on Dia de los Muertos. Yes. 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 It's like this weird... And you keep it in a jar of viscous fluid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's... Or in this case, a bowl of soup. Bowl of soup. <laughs> Which is a viscous <laughs> a fluid. A viscous fluid. Yeah. Depending on what kind... Look, let's talk viscosity for a second. <laughs> now, are we talking like bouillon cube and water broth... Or um, this we're was talking a like this we're talking like, like cream of broccoli. Yeah. yeah, this was like cream of broccoli consistency. You really have to cook it at the right temperature, or the ingredients won't cohese properly. <laughs> That's true. They won't cohese into this uh, aborted Dia de los Muertos. Exactly. Ah, uh, that's going to be the name of my next band. There you that's going to be the next aborted uh, Dia de los Muertos. <laughs> that's going to be on the next season of Chopped. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Well. Open up your baskets, and your baskets include. Aborted Dia de los Muertos cherubs, <laughs> rhubarb, and gummy teeth. <laughs> so, yeah, she, she pulls this weird-looking thing out of her bowl of soup, and then the whole sequence switches to stop-motion animation. The woman becomes a completely animated figure, and this little uh, cherub fetus comes to life... And she screams, and the the camera zooms into her her mouth, and you see her uh, uvula kind of wobbling back and forth. And the cherub presumably falls in love with it, and he gets these little hearts in his eyes, and he he crawls into her mouth and basically rips the uvula out of her throat. Which, uh, Jesus let's, Christ! Let's be honest. I mean, the, he. He was freeing his love from her bondage. Sure. I'm not saying it's not romantic, but... <laughs> you are my love. Yeah. I've come to save you. Well, because it did seem free when, like, once he popped that uvula out, that uvula, I thought would that gravity would take over and the uvula would hit the ground or he would hold on to it. Mm-hmm. That uvula flew away as if to say, thank God I am free. And yes. this... And this um, Dia de los Muertos cherub went flying after it. Right. So, yeah, we get this great aerial sequence where the uh, the uvula is sort of taking flight over this town. Like the feather in Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. Yes, or the bag in American Beauty. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or a uh, third flying thing. And then uh, the, uh, the cherub is chasing after it. And then there's this whole <coughs> weird sequence of events where um, the cherub finally catches the uvula and then eats it. And then immediately a crow comes out of nowhere and just chomps down on the cherub fetus's head and, and devours it. And then the crow takes off, lays an egg that a snake in a tree comes down and eats. And then the crow grabs the snake. Different crow. Remember that first crow got eaten. Because oh, the yeah, uh, yeah. because the burlap bag man wanted its eye. Yep. That's right. There's yep. a weird. By the way, I this conversation has never, <laughs> never. I happened. guess no, it has had to have happened because they just released a damn Blu-ray of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Like this has been remastered. This conversation has happened. <laughs> exactly. This conversation happened in a storyboard room, and someone said yes. Someone filmed this. So yeah, 
Yeah, there's this whole sequence of events, and then this snake ends up in a, in a bird's nest with these baby birds. It coughs up the egg that it swallowed. The egg falls on the ground, and out of this egg hatches another cherub fetus. <laughs> that sure. is, again, immediately then, eaten. <laughs> yes, and then another crow shows up and eats that one. And the circle of life continues. And then this crow takes off through the air. That is a small and narrow circle. <laughs> yes, it yes. is. Like, that ecosystem yes, is, is closed. <laughs> it's it's 70% crows. Yeah, that ecosystem is crows. 70% crows, 28% uh, fetus, Dia de los Muertos fetuses, and 2% burlap monsters who just need the crows for their eyeballs. Which came yes. first, the Dia de los Muertos fetus or the egg? It's the age old question. So this transitions us back into uh, the regular live action portion where this crow takes off and then we see uh, one of the the leads of this movie, uh, Grandfather, uh, shouting at the crow and he has this uh, like a length of wood, a two by four basically, that he throws through the air and knocks the crow out of the sky. And... Um, we get a quick introduction to this whole family, which will be our protagonist for the film. Um, and there's a lot of uh, just like a little setup here where you, you meet each individual member. There's the father, uh, the mother, uh, their two uh, kids who are uh, adults. Yeah. Who are they're They're grown children, uh, probably in their uh, late twenties, early. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe early thirties. Um, and then the grandfather and their dog Pochi. Oh, and the, um, the, the daughter has a daughter also. She has a young girl who's maybe like eight years old. Who is the narrator of this whole opening bit. Right. Um, everybody get that? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's on board, right? Um, so yeah, we get this exposition about how the father was laid off from his job and then, uh, Someone told him that there was going to be this road built through the country, and so he decided to kind of get ahead of the curve and build this nice kind of country home where the road was going to be built so they could run a bed and breakfast for all this future traffic that was going to be going by. But as of yet, this road has not been built, and they've fallen on hard times. And meanwhile, the whole family has sort of gathered together here to to work together in this... Um, sort of economic struggle. I like the way that the, this story is told in, um, in that there's, there's these individual introductions to the family. That's mm -hmm. the cold open. The title pops up and then bam, they do the close up of the food, which I'm always a fan of. God, yeah, yeah. And that food, like that food looked good. Ugh. The close up of the food, um, and then pull out to the big table with the, uh, by the way, the Japanese haven't figured out putting an electric stove on the table. Just yeah. have the pot there. Yeah, they have like a family style hot pot where it's like you've got like this stew cooking in the middle with like the like the sides and stuff all around it. Yeah. Everyone's just kind of sharing. This so, but that's I think that's a great way to introduce. You've introduced every character individually. Now let's mm -hmm. see every character together Interaction in the opening the scene yeah. right yeah. after the. But before that happens, right before the title. There is an interesting sequence that kind of introduces us to the darker element of the movie, where the, the these four wandering women. I'm sorry, the uh, the cherub ripping the uvula out of a human being is not introducing us to the dark <laughs> part of this movie. I thought that represented hope. 
But Look, maybe man. I read it wrong. You <laughs> hope is hope comes in three colors: red, white, and blue, and is drawn by Shepard Fairey, my friend. Damn right. <laughs> yes, we can. Yeah. So there, uh, these four women happen by the bed and breakfast, and the family gets all excited because they think they're about to have their first guests, and then a solar eclipse occurs. At which point, these four women just freak the hell out and one of them starts uh basically having a seizure on the ground and another one starts laughing uncontrollably and then did anybody else notice one of them was just like not wearing a bra and like the like, areola you could just see straight through the t-shirt nope that was no you. i didn't only, i, didn't I was notice. the only one yeah, yeah i didn't notice the areola lady oh god no, this is Mark. This is the the function that Brian serves on this podcast. Is to point out these important details, like areolas. Yeah. All right. Hey, I saw an areola. It's the areola game. <laughs> I never played that on long car trips. No. Nope. So these, these women, these women, um, one of them explains away that they're spiritualists on a training trip. Mm-hmm. Um, we just call we've that. Seen, now we've seen these women before. At the very beginning of the movie, they pass they, through the restaurant where the woman got her uvula ripped right. out by a Dia de los Muertos chair. And they show up later in the movie, and it's never really clear what function they serve in this movie, other than basically just sort of being harbingers of bad stuff. Well, about adding to go a down. mystical element to it, like adding on to that whole little demon shit that happened earlier. Like I'm assuming, like this change them into what they are today and then they go to this mountain and it kind of mystifies this mountain like but they never explain it right does uh does uh uh, does mike my (laughs) when he makes these movies does he usually explain away harbingers and things like that or because like if this was a disney channel movie you'd see a monster at the beginning and by the end you'd know their whole backstory and they'd turn good right yeah um he is okay with certain uh, elements of a film sort of just kind of existing for their own merit and not really clearly yeah. he feels that way <laughs> there's so many scenes in this movie that are like Man, i didn't need that. Mm-hmm. that uh well all right especially up top yeah can i ask you about another one of those yeah, not yeah. to throw us off uh the timeline here no go ahead this is part of that though um, right after the, the family finishes that big meal at the table. By the way, we're five minutes into the show. This is going to be a nine-hour <laughs> podcast. Um, uh, the, they turn to the television, mm-hmm. and there is a newscaster on television yes. who a bug goes up his nose, and mm-hmm. he does a bit of, as a newscaster with a bug up his nose. Yeah. Now, was that strictly comic relief? Yes. Okay. That's the impression that I get, and uh, I I use a a book written by Tom Mess sometimes to to sort of inform myself about these movies. He kind of mentioned that the sequence with the television newscaster because they switched the channel after that, mm-hmm. um, and the the newscaster uh, his function story wise is that he's telling. He's doing sort of like a local color story about another bed and breakfast that's doing because much... Because another road was open somewhere else. Right. So it's being mu- it's much more successful. And it's also this weird story about how this bed and breakfast has animal servants working there and like that are serving the guests. So that's a weird detail. Um, <laughs> yeah, because he says something to the effect of like, the pigs like didn't want to be turned into sausages. So they're like, hey, I'll just work here and yeah. carry coffee. They're- like what? 
<laughs> I, I I nearly just now said that's that's the part of the movie I don't understand. <laughs> but then I caught myself because I may need to save that one. <laughs> yeah, you only get three of those. Oh, geez. oh and right. we're not that far into the movie. Uh, by so, the way, I'd like to point out another thing right now. Now mm-hmm. that we're getting into you know in the the paradigm of the storytelling here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. stuff's about to get weird before we get there while we're getting still setting up what, the who what and where what some might call the goods ooh the 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 <laughs> pre goods the where of this place they have named <laughs> they have named their guest house uh the white lovers guest house yeah. i don't know if that's the clientele they're trying to attract. <laughs> I don't know if that is what they themselves are. It sounds much better in Japanese. Like the tra- <laughs> it's, it's not a great translation. I think. I think if you imagine that the house is white and you put a little pause in there, it's the white lovers' guest house. I still don't like the way this yeah. shit sounds. Well, <laughs> you can't please everybody all the time. <laughs> Also, I, the chairs in the in the kitchen say rustic, rustic in English font. Sure, uh, you will see uh, <laughs> you'll see English words pop up just in Japanese culture randomly. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's again. This is my first Japanese movie. Exactly. Is that a Japanese movie thing? It's just a Japanese thing. You'll see like yeah. signs in Japan written in English just because for aesthetic purposes they've decided to use an English word. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like you, uh, the, the older son in this film has a couple of different t-shirts throughout the movie that have English text on them. And that's just, it's just a common thing. Which it's one of those was written backwards and I thought I was very clever. Uh, <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know what they did? They reversed the film because they needed to get like a certain shot or something until you, Scott, pointed out that this, they would have had to rebuild the stairs. <laughs> right. <laughs> Otherwise we would have seen that the architecture had been reversed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they they watch that weird newscast and then they, they change the channel and that same actor that played the newscaster is now doing some sort of weird drag performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that again is just sort of like a weird throwaway. Comic it for its bit. own sake, but yeah. Um, and this re- this review that I read said that basically this was just an excuse for this comedic actor to kind of show up and just like do some bits. Oh, it was a cameo. Um, yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, so he, I assume he was a famous comedian there. I I guess so. Yeah, well, like it's Harvey so Corman doing the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. just appearing in one scene. Like, sure, I'll do this bit. Mm-hmm. I don't appreciate you comparing this movie to the Star Wars Christmas special necessarily, but I'm sorry, which <laughs> uh, I I know you like some weird stuff, Scott. Uh, which one was I insulting? <laughs> you son of a bitch! <laughs> the the Star Wars Christmas <laughs> special is an abomination. Um, <laughs> so at this point, there's a blackout. And in the midst of this blackout, the first actual guest arrives at the bed and breakfast. Sure. And, uh. Um, because this movie is Clue. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has that vibe. This guy shows up and the family is sort of as one unit going out of their way to be as accommodating as possible. They're really like 
they're really like trying really hard to provide the best service that they possibly can. And the guy kind of seems to be uninterested in all of it. He just wants to go to his room and he orders a beer and, and then otherwise asks them to leave him alone. And while he's up there, he sings the first song of this musical film. Yeah. And it's basically this just very brief song of despair. That looks like the uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart video. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. It's like all like moonlit and, yeah, and they, silks. And yeah. they pump fog some like fog into the Yeah, It's like a very it's foggy It's totally room. the Total Eclipse from the Heart video. Yeah. The, uh, when the songs break out in this film... The whole style of the film changes completely. Every time to different stuff, too. Yeah. Song to song, it changes. Yeah, absolutely. It's like every every song kind of has its own style, like it's its own genre of musical theater or whatever. And so he sings this whole song, and it's like, it's got lyrics like, even the tears I cry are dry. It's just very, (laughs) very over-the-top, just uh, gloomy. And then everyone goes to bed. And we get these very ominous shots, like, over the shoulder of him in his room, kind of carving away at something at the desk in his room. And... And, Mark, you were freaking out at this Well, <laughs> look, man, when you hear us, when you... When you're watching a movie and you don't, and you've already seen a girl get her uvula ripped out. <laughs> True. And you see True. a shot from behind a guy sitting at a desk, so you don't know what's on the desk, and you hear a saw going back and forth... Mm-hmm. Come on, man. I was any, Anybody would get a little nervous right there at that point in the movie. It's I thought a, he was sawing his hand off to get to like a key or something. Yeah, it's a very effectively shot scene. Like it's straight mm-hmm. out of a horror film. Like, yeah. And, and it's, he's still got that fog in his room and the music is very ominous. The fog. He was like, damn, I really shouldn't have sung that song earlier. There's <laughs> fog everywhere still now. Still it's cleared oh, out. It's going to be here till morning. Uh. <laughs> um, it cuts to the next morning and the... The family is going about their day and they decide that, oh, it's time to wake up our guest and, you know, serve him breakfast and whatnot. And they, they knock on his door. He doesn't answer. And when they, when they finally open it, they find his dead body. And this cues the first, like, kind of full actual song that the family sings. It turns out that the older son is a really good dancer, too. Yes. Yeah. He's very good. Now, are these actors. How many of these actors are like famous actors there, or famous I, dancers or singers? I don't. You mentioned know there was a rock star. Yes, I know. I know that one of the actors that appears later in the movie is a rock star. Um, but they they find this guy's body who um, has sharpened the the keychain for to his room into a like a spike basically and jammed that's it into his neck. what it was yeah it was the key to his room yeah so this is the thing that he was sort of like carving away at the night before the keys to this bed and breakfast have these long sort of uh plastic boondoggles on them that he just sharpened into a point and jammed into his neck well then whose fault is that yeah i mean yeah they should have seen this coming basically but <laughs> give him a key card <laughs> slide it in wait for the green push down mm-hmm. done they can't afford that until they actually get some guests though that's true. So, yeah, they sing this whole song about what they're going to do with this body. And uh, at one point during the song, the the dad grabs the keychain out of the guy's throat and just sort of holds it up, surprised. And the the mom is sort of like, what are you doing? Don't don't touch this. And she sticks it back into the neck wound. And uh, they in the song, the the dad ends up basically telling them all that they need to bury the body. Otherwise, 
if word gets out that their first guest killed himself with their keychain, like it's just going to be bad press and they're never going to get another customer again. And he, yeah. And you know what though, man, that is, that is a, that is a poor decision that that guy makes. (laughs) That's an understatement. Because, because look, man, facts are facts. If it's going to cost you a Yelp review or two, Look, four stars. The service was great. They were very attentive. I felt like I was the only one there. However, mm-hmm. they didn't report my murder. Yeah, they they buried me after I committed suicide. I think um, I think this is where your your lack of understanding about Japanese culture really is like a disservice. Okay, because, um, explain, please. It in traditional Japanese culture, if you run a bed and breakfast uh-huh. and a guest dies. Uh, you're not obligated to tell anyone about that. Oh, and, and it is your oh okay. It is your civic duty to dispose of that body in the quickest and uh, most ecological friendly way possible. Great done. These people um, were model citizens. <laughs> bury them in the bog. This is just uh, Brian and I talk a lot about Japanese culture in this podcast because we're both experts in it, um, and that's just that's just like a known fact. I have three degrees in Japanese culture. Oh. They're all the same degree, but he got the, he got, he got him at you went to Kinko's and he, No, he went to three different schools and got the same degree uh, each one. Each one. So there's even a part at the end of this song where the dad is like, he used a knife to sharpen this keychain down. Why, Why didn't, didn't he, he just kill use kill himself with a knife? Uh, now, when the family is all there and they find the body and they decide to uh, that they should bury the body, which apparently yeah, they all I decide to go is. along with it. Uh, where's the daughter at this time? Oh yeah, at this point she has, uh, she's gone into town because her whole thing is that she was married, she has this young daughter, but her husband left her. They also but, made a point to mention that this girl gets around. Yeah, that's, that's her daughter in the voiceover yeah. introducing her, it says that she gets around. Yeah. Which tells you something when you're like, eight year old daughter says you get around. Yeah. You get around. You get around. <laughs> Don't go to the club one night. <laughs> Skip a night. Yeah, so uh her whole thing throughout this movie is that she's trying to find love. And so she goes into town and uh she sings this love song basically about how she's looking for love. And Can I point out something about that song? Yeah. Uh I feel like this movie tried to pull a fast one on me at that point. Okay. Because in the lyrics, because we were watching this movie subtitled, mm-hmm. uh, in the subtitles across the bottom, there at one point it says, la 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 la. Mm-hmm. That is not what she is singing. <laughs> so is there a, either there is a Japanese equivalent of nonsense syllables that they use that in America they're like, they wouldn't understand that that's nonsense syllables, so we'll just put la 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 la. Or the captionist was trying to pull a fast one on us. <laughs> like, screw it, just put la 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 la. They're not going to know the difference. Uh, yeah, the the original lyrics were "Death to America, Death to America." Uh, um, and they didn't. So think it was that from would... North Japan. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, dear leader, son. <laughs> they, yeah, they didn't think that would play here so much. Um, yeah, she sings this song, and then at the end of this song, um, this guy in a military uniform brushes past her. And uh, this guy is played by the rock star that we mentioned earlier. Uh, he's this sort of greasy-looking dude with long hair, but he's in a, he's in a white Navy uniform. 
and they kind of make eye contact and she you could see that she's immediately smitten with him and he notices her and they're sitting at uh tables on opposite sides of this courtyard it looks like they're at an outdoor mall or something yeah he's on like, like a balcony yeah and uh then he he folds up a paper airplane and th- it throws it over to her and she opens it up and there's a sort of Picasso-esque doodle of a woman. And then in English, it just says, I love you. And <laughs> and then he whispers, I love you. love you. And that cues another song where he sings this whole romantic ballad about how he's in love Which, with her. This was really confusing. Because I was like, wait, yeah. does she already know this guy? Who just right out the gate is no, like... It's basically love at first sight. Like, he, uh, he can tell that... That she she digs him and he he basically pours his heart out to her in this song. And there's this moment I love during the song where he kind of he flies up on wires and he's singing, and then these these glitter cannons go off, and he he pretends like he's just been shot by a cannon, and he hangs on the on the wires like he's dead. I wish he'd stayed dead. <laughs> yeah, and then it cuts to this blue blue screenshot of the, of him and. Uh, the woman uh, Masayuki in space kind of floating together and she kisses him and he sort of shakes back to life and it's, it's supposed to be this romantic thing but it is ridiculous and um, <laughs> the song ends and he gives her this whole thing about how he's with the US military oh but uh, to be more specific I'm with the Royal Navy like so his his story right off the bat is all over the place. Full of holes. <laughs> and then he goes, "Oh, I'm very jealous of your husband." And Which she, is such a fishing line. Right. It's he's very Like, "Wow, you're very pretty. You um you are going your boyfriend uh, be yeah. lucky." <laughs> yeah. And the actor so plays it really well. Are you well. into the beach? Oh, you and your boyfriend must have had a great time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's making it very clear that she's available. At which point the daughter Very clear she's practically Bugs Bunny like when he dresses up like a woman. Yes, it's not <laughs> subtle. She's she's fudding all over him. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> the, the daughter at this point explains that dad had an affair with a high school girl, and that's why this girl just gives away way yeah. too much information. To which this guy responds by just throwing his fists in the air and saying, "Yeah!" <laughs> Another one of the weirder moments in this yeah. movie. Um, so he's not subtle at all about the fact that he wants to get in mom's pants. Cut back to the bed and breakfast where the dad is having nightmares about this body that they've buried. I love any sequence where you wake up from a nightmare multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I thought they were going to pull that one on us for like an hour. Right? Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, so he does the double wake up, at which point the second guests of uh, the bed and breakfast arrive. And it is a famous sumo wrestler and his very young teenage girlfriend. Oh, he was famous? They said that he was on... He was reality show famous because they Ah, said he was on... Athletes Got Talent? Athletes Singing Contest. Got it. Athletes Singing Contest. Which sounds like the most, like, C-level reality television show you can imagine. Yeah, anytime you're doing a mashup, you're not the top tier. Right. Um, So, the sumo and his, again, very young-looking girlfriend. Extremely young-looking girlfriend. She looked like his daughter. She's wearing a a school uniform and a backpack, like a bright yellow backpack. Anyway. What's up with the school outfits? Uh, The 
girl people were schooling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't this guy's this famous sumo wrestler is dating a school child. She's at least there are high school. Implications there. There are some serious implications. Yeah, yes. she looks like a high schooler. Come on, you're a famous sumo wrestler, man. And he's just like looking behind him the entire time, like, oh, is that a car? Yeah, he's just <gasps> he's avoiding paparazzi, and he's just ready to get down because as soon as they get in the yeah, room, this guy wants to. Fuck. He throws the girl on the bed and gets on top of her before the like the family has left the room. And her legs is just waving around so fucking helplessly. Yeah, she's just kind of like kicking her legs around, and then. Um, there's this sequence that night where Richard, which is the name of this uh, so-called Royal Navy man, he calls Shizue, which is the daughter's name. He calls her at the at the house saying that he's flying over Iraq, presumably in a dogfight, because uh, you hear like gunfire in the background. And he just wanted to call her during this dogfight and, and tell her that he loves her. And it cuts to him in some apartment somewhere with just a sound effects tape playing as he sits on the floor. So he's real piece of work, this guy. They really set you up to love him. (laughs) So he's doing this whole thing where he's like, uh, like the the gunfire is going off and he's calling to his like other pilots. He's like, Johnny. And then he's like, she's away. I love you. And she goes, me too. And then they hang up. Um, and he's just and got he's it. faking the whole yeah. time. He's running a con. He's not very good at it, but yeah. she is I so... I mean, that hair is definitely not regulation. Right. <laughs> She's so obsessed with the idea of falling in love that she is oblivious to how obviously fake this guy is. The next morning, they, again, find that the their guest has perished in the night. And they find they find the sumo naked on the bed, and the dad's like, "Why do we only get guests like this?" He's just like everything yeah. is about him, basically. Why is this happening to us? And they think that the uh, the teenage girl has run off, and but they, unfortunately, yeah, they try to move the body and discover that she has just been smothered underneath this large sumo. She was smooshed to death. She was smooshed. Um, so this is bodies two and three. Yes, for this place. Uh, they decide that once again they're going to bury this these these two bodies where they buried the other one. They lower the sumo wrestler out of the window after the cop leaves and bury him. And then these like four happy people show up after after the family comes back with their shovels, like they've just buried these two people, and they see these four bright happy people waiting. And they're all excited because they're ordinary people. They're like, oh, finally, ordinary people are here. And there's this great sequence of the family all working together to make a meal for these people. And um, they... So they really are good at their jobs. We do like them. Yeah, they've just... They're not responsible for these deaths. Uh, it's, It's like these weird fates have conspired against them. And then... They make very questionable choices in the aftermath. Boy, do they! <laughs> so, but then uh, this these happy people kind of lead into this flashback song, um, where it shows the family coming to the house for the first time before it's been renovated, and the dad basically singing this song about how they're all going to work together to like to make it work and be a happy family. Cut back to present time. 
they receive a phone call. The dad receives a phone call from the city, apparently, that this road that they thought was going to be built is finally going to be built. And there's going to be this road that goes by their bed and breakfast. So it's ostensibly good news until the his wife points out that the road is going through the exact spot where they've buried all these bodies. <laughs> and so they decide that they now have to move them. So, like, just to keep... To keep this whole ruse up, they now have to move these bodies that they've buried. And you know what? God bless her. She's going to stand by her man. Yeah, she... Hell, she was the one that suggested chopping him up. That is true. <laughs> she is a monster. She's yeah. a fucking G. <laughs> yeah, at one point when they're trying to figure out how to move the sumo wrestler, she she just raises the question. She's like, should we chop him up? And it doesn't come to that, but she's she really is, like, all for her family. So, um... We get the scene where Richard is running through the woods, presumably because the cops are after him, and he kind of stumbles across this pond, and he splashes some water in his face and drinks from the pond, and and then it kind of pans over, and we see that there are a bunch of dead animals in this pond, and some what look like gasoline canisters just laying at the bottom of this pond, so he's, he's drinking from this very tainted water, and he shows up at the bed and breakfast, and is greeted by uh, Shizue, who is still infatuated with him. And he's, at this point, having some gastrointestinal problems mm-hmm. from drinking this water. So, yeah, he's doing this whole, like, comic bit where he's, like, you know, sticking his hand back in his rear end, trying to, like, stem the tide that's on its Which head. does... Has that ever worked? Um, no, but it seems to be like a Japanese film equivalent of the guy who gets kicked in the nuts and crosses his eyes before falling yeah. over. It's just like a, like a physical comedy trope that you see in, in gotcha. things. Again, my first Japanese movie. Right, right, right. All, all the greats have used this, uh, Throne of Blood, Seven Samurai is mostly people trying not to shit themselves. Oh, because sure. Because like, when you think about feudal Japan, most water sources weren't going to be purified. Like, everyone had diarrhea constantly. And <laughs> I imagine they were just super skinny then. Yeah, well, yeah, also because they were peasants and only had millet to eat. Uh, <laughs> that would make also yeah. sense. you got to watch more movies, man, I'm telling you. I really do. So, uh, yeah, he shows up, but he's still trying to play it cool, and at one point tells her that... I want to eat you. And she faints because it's so romantic. Uh, he goes up to his room and uh, shits himself and falls off the bed, at which point he finds the wallet that the first guest had dropped behind the bed. He he comes back out later that night, and Shizue is sitting on the swing that they have out in the yard. And Richard comes out in his uniform, and Brian... Brian, you pointed out that his pants were different, which yeah. I, I don't think I noticed before when I watched it, but he's he's out of he's still wearing his uniform jacket, but now he's wearing black pants because mm-hmm. presumably he's ruined his other pair of pants. <laughs> so uh, we get uh, we get another song at this point, and it's basically this sweet moment between the uh, uh, the mom and dad, and they basically just sing this love ballad to each other about how she uh, she always supported him and they love each other. And it is a straight-up karaoke song where they say at the beginning, everybody sing along, and all the the lyrics in Japanese kind of play out karaoke style at the bottom of the screen. Yeah. And all of the uh, the film footage is sort of this soft-focus blue screen stuff where they're dancing around, and she's got 
like a ballroom dress on all of a sudden. So all Japanese movies have to have this karaoke scene. Yes. Okay. Um, most movies in Japan are actually karaoke videos. Oh, great. They don't have movie theaters. They just, just have karaoke, karaoke bars, and that's where you go to to watch a movie, but also to sing along so with it. So you stand there and read someone else's lines? Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> I wish we had that here. It'd be great, right? Yeah. I would have spent a lot of time growing up at a Ghostbusters karaoke movie. Oh, absolutely. All right. Where were we? They they sing that nice song. Meanwhile, Richard has taken she's away off into uh, the swamplands um, for a romantic walk. Like you do. Yeah. They're taking a romantic walk, and there's just industrial waste lying around uh, because they built their bed and breakfast near a dump, apparently. And because um, these families full of idiots. Yeah. <laughs> and he he gives her this whole uh, uh, song and dance. Oh, quite literally. Yeah, literal song and dance about how he is actually the nephew of Queen Elizabeth, and he needs to fly back to England on an important mission and needs to borrow money. So this is where we find out what his game is, and he, he does this It becomes song. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels for a minute. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And uh, But uh, little does he know that Grandpa who is suspicious of him, has followed them there and is on to his whole game, he interrupts before uh, Shizue can do anything about it and hits him on the back of the head with one of his 2x4 planks, which he, I guess, always just has at hand. Um, he really is good with that 2x4 as yeah, his weapon. it is. And he says later on he was in the war, and it makes me wonder if maybe that was just his weapon of choice during like the war. That's, like that's right. how no, he no, fought no. out of the trenches? Keep the machine gun. <laughs> yeah. I don't need it. And uh, Also, why did he have to sneak all the way up to Richard if he's so good at throwing them? I think in this particular case, because it was so personal... He wanted to feel the vibration of Richard's skull shattering through the wood. That's fair. That's right. All right. It's a crime of passion. Yep. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he hits he hits Richard in the back of the head with this plank. Richard shits himself again. And then they have a fight, at which point uh, we get another claymation sequence where Richard and Grandpa tumble off of because a cliff. Because any time a scene is going to be expensive, they make it in claymation. Yes. Exactly. Basically, for budgetary reasons, there are several segments that are in claymation. And um, this is one of them. They, but, it, but occasionally, at dramatic moments, they'll superimpose like the live actor's face over the claymation body. Like when, uh, when Grandpa calls Richard an asshole. He's like, you asshole! And I think it's like, just to remind you, like, oh, by the way, this claymation figure is this guy. <laughs> just to tell you which is which, because they're not the most... Uh, well-defined. Uh, They're stick enemy. figures. Yeah, yeah. They're Dia de, de los Muertos cherubs with just different faces. <laughs> They're not that bad, but yeah, it's it's up there. Um, so at the last second, Grandpa is saved, and Richard falls off the cliff. His claymation puppet falls off the cliff into a river below, uh, like wily e. Coyote style. There's like a little, like tiny splash at the bottom of the ravine, and. And uh, she's away and, and Grandpa go back home. But Friday the 13th style, Richard like comes back and like, kicks the door in and, and comes back zombie style. And uh, they're all afraid of what's going to happen. But he collapses on the floor and, and dies after apologizing to a whole string of women. <laughs> and then at the last minute, uh, 
reaches out to Shizue and starts trying to say her name. He's like, she, 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 and she's still like in romantic mode, even though she knows at this point, she knows he's a fake. She's just waiting for him to say her name. And then he just says another name entirely. He's like Shimozu or whatever. And, and, and collapses dead. So at this point, uh, one of my favorite sequences in the movie, this, this storm rolls in and it's this like tsunami and someone knocks at the door and it's very ominous and you hear like this recorder playing like a flute and they open the door and uh it's a family of four and they're just like the picture of of doom this girl is playing this ominous song on her flute the parents look completely exhausted and downtrodden. They're all like just soaked to the core. And the son has this cough, this persistent cough that's not going away. And so they come in to rent a room and the, the Katakuris are just staring at this family like, great. <laughs> this whole family is going to die in our bed and breakfast and there's nothing we can do about it. And there's this funny moment where they're, uh, this group is going up the stairs and the mother turns around slowly and she just asks, do you have some strong cord I can borrow? <laughs> and the whole family sort of recoils uh, and like a couple of them put their hands to their necks, like strong cord, like you're going to kill yourself. And grandpa at this point goes, we should be prepared for the worst. Cut to him the next morning, him and uh, the son digging a mass grave for this family. Which at this point is a solid idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, like the way Everyone that's come through has died. Yep. But just as they finish digging this grave, they hear the sound of this recorder playing again, and the family walks up uh, completely alive, and uh, they thank them for for the stay, and they notice the strong cord that they've asked for is now being used as a belt for the sun, and everything turned out all right. And I, I, I love this scene in the movie because I think it's a great reversal of the way they look when they come in is so perfectly dismal, uh, but then it turns out to be okay. I think it's played perfectly. Yeah, the family like, is fine. Yeah. But immediately after they walk off, a guy runs out of the woods out of nowhere, trips and falls into the grave and passes out. And they think he's dead. And Grandpa starts to bury him immediately. <laughs> just because at this point, he's just like not Why taking not, any... Right? Yeah, he's not Even taking... after he moves, though, yeah. Grandpa's like, fuck it. He's gonna die anyway. Yeah, in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> like, just starts digging. <laughs> <laughs> the son stops him. And they, uh, they, they take the guy unconscious back to the bed and breakfast and like put him in a bed. And then these tremors start happening. And they unearth the bodies that they've buried... And uh, this is the point. This is the first point at which the girl, like the little girl, stumbles across the bodies and sees them. And and then there's another song, and it's this very optimistic song about like moving forward and like and just like going on when the going gets tough. And there's sort of like a zombie dance where the bodies get up and start dancing around, and the family's all singing about how they're gonna stick together. And um. I guess this is important because now, like, the little girl's in on it, too. <laughs> like, she's, she's... Yeah, now she's been added to the mix. Yeah, yeah, but they're all in it together. They're but now... she's totally not phased by anything. You notice that? Yeah, but, yeah, she's not. Like, the the girl just kind of rolls with everything. Yeah. And we get these shots of uh, these cop cars that are, like, driving up the road. And this mystery guy that's passed out in their bed and breakfast, he wakes up. 
and he starts panicking and running around. Uh, the Katakuris come back with their shovels and they see the guy woke, uh, is woken up and they hear the sirens in the background and the family thinks that the cops have finally figured out what's going on and they come to arrest him. Uh, and this mystery guy, meanwhile, like freaks out and runs back into the house to hide. And then as the cops are pulling up, we get another song where all of the, the men of the family are sort of trying to figure out which one of them is going to sacrifice themselves for the family and take the blame. And the son wants... Which you can see from a mile away as a viewer that the cops are not there for them. They're right. there, for, there for this crazy guy who's running around inside the house. Right, right. So the song is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny and it's... And, like, the, the family's just so self-absorbed with what's going on with their own situation. They're, they're blind to everything else that's happening. And, uh, also, they're a family of idiots. <laughs> but they're all—they're idiots. But they're like they all genuinely care for one another. They do love each other. Yeah. It's true. So yeah, the son wants to sacrifice himself because he's always—he's already been to jail and he's been a criminal, and it right. makes sense for him to sacrifice himself. Uh, the dad wants to sacrifice himself because it's his fault that he got them all into this mess by like opening the bed and breakfast and and making the decision to bury the bodies in the first place. And Grandpa wants to sacrifice himself because he's already lived a full life. And so it's this dramatic scene where they're all trying to one-up each other about, like, who's going to be honest, it. we all know who the right choice is here, though, right? Yeah, the The dad. little girl. Oh, the dad. Yeah, yeah, you get... <laughs> the dad's the one who had the first idea of, like, let's just bury him. You take right. the fall for this old man. Sure. Go over Grandpa. Yeah. I'm saying Grandpa. You're going Grandpa? Choice. Yeah. Well, it's fucking old. Well, well, Grandpa ends up winning out. Like he, he finally makes the final decision. So the cops roll up, and he walks over and basically like holds up his wrists, like ready for them to cuff him. And the cops just brush past him. They're like, "Hello," <laughs> like walk past because mm-hmm. they're obviously not there for him. And uh, they say they're looking for this other guy because there was a murder at the other bed and breakfast down the road, <laughs> and uh, this guy went on the run. And that's when we see that. This mystery guy uh, has taken the mother of the Katakuris hostage. He's got a knife to her throat. And he comes out of the house. And then we get this very genuinely dramatic scene that is played much more naturally. It's a great scene. It's well acted. It's very well acted. And uh, he's very upset. And everyone's everyone's shouting. And and the dad finally makes this very heartfelt heartfelt plea, like begging the guy to let her go, which the guy then eventually does. But then um, this crazy guy charges at the dad with the knife. But the son, Masayuki, jumps in the way at the last second and he takes the blade instead and collapses and the cops capture this other guy. And then we, uh, we get another song where, uh, Masayuki's bleeding out on the ground. He's just taken this, this horrible knife wound and they're all singing about how important he is and how they, um, they forgive him for everything and like he's a good son and he apologizes to them for not always being the best and it's very dramatic and they're all crying over him and then they kind of pull open his shirt and find out that he's just got the smallest of scratches on his chest and it's and they're just kind of like they're holding up their fingers like an inch apart and they're like it's they're like it's this this is all it is. And they're yeah. showing it to it each other. One inch and it shouldn't have even bled that much. Yeah. Like, it, what the fuck? Yeah. It like barely broke the skin. And then he just kind of sits up embarrassed like, oh, okay. 
Yeah, so he gets up, he's fine, everyone's fine, and they're kind of laughing it off. And then these these tremors that have sort of been happening in the background at this point um, suddenly come to a climax, and the mountain behind them just erupts. And everything again transforms into claymation, and there's this amusing shot where like the whole family transforms except for grandpa and he kind of looks at them like what the hell just happened <laughs> but then but then they're like pochi pochi which is their dog and you get a claymation pochi kind of uh moving along in this landslide that's happening and the um the claymation dad goes and saves pochi by hanging from a branch and then the whole family joins together and they're like hold hands and they form a circle around the house and they basically use the the power of their love for each other to save the house. To survive, yeah. It's the end of Guardians of the Galaxy. It, it really yeah. is. It is. Yeah. It cuts to black after all this chaos. And then we get this shot of a blue sky and the whole family kind of leaning over the camera. It's uh, from the dad's perspective. He's waking up and he stands up and they're in this very uh, lovely pastoral setting it's like this green field uh with rainbows elephants and giraffes yeah there are elephants and giraffes in the background (laughs) and you see that the whole house has slid down the side of the mountain intact and is now in this much nicer location it's still not near, it's now not near any roads, so I don't know how this No one will ever find yeah. it. Yeah, and there's there. really dangerous wild animals around it. <laughs> it doesn't, ah, well, they're not dangerous. They'll build a road. Dangerous. If there's giraffes and a, and, a, and a whole location that looked like a Bob Ross painting, yeah. they're going to build roads. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the house is now in this new location. Everything's, like, perfectly happy, and they sing the final song of the movie, which is just basically a song about being happy and, like being a family together and it's all sunshine and roses And then it takes this weird, dramatic turn at the end, and you get uh, a final voiceover from the little girl, and she says, uh, the next year, Grandpa passed away. And then Grandpa gets very serious all of a sudden, and the family circles around him, and he looks down at the girl, and she smiles at him, and he smiles at her, and then he starts emitting this golden glow, and he launches into the sky like a rocket. And then the whole family jumps up into the air and says, yeah, <laughs> which is, I think, an appropriate way to uh, to mourn the passing hey, of a loved one. That's what the apostles did at the at the uh, ascension. <laughs> well, except for except for Thomas, except for Thomas, who's like, no, I don't know about this. What a doubter. That looks like some Chris Angel shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Jesus was the first Chris Angel. He was. That's, so that's yeah, the movie. Let the letters roll in. <laughs> so, Mark. Yeah. Any impressions about this movie overall? It's, uh, it is. No, I think it's, it's, uh, it's very fun. I think it was a very simple, 
it's very simple, old school fable style storytelling, mm-hmm. and it's being told um, in a, you know, it, it's being told with all these sort of. I would equate it to like when Ren and Stimpy did a zoom in. And you would see, like, all the little <laughs> details in a picture. Right. And then they would zoom back out. Mm-hmm. They do these, like, you know, five, ten minute long weird zoom-ins on certain aspects of the story. Yeah. But it really is a simple story. It's a family uh, A family uh, has a dream. It's not working out. Uh, weird circumstances start happening. People start you dying. You just did the trailer. A family. A family. One family. <laughs> Weird circumstance. In a One, world yeah. they didn't create. <laughs> yeah, but all this, and then in the end, everything works out. Like, yeah. it's it's pretty simple storytelling. Yeah, it all uh, turned with, out that, like, the thing that they all needed to be happy was each other. Yeah. It's like if you're watching a Lifetime movie and periodically you're switching back and forth between that and VH1 on a weekend morning when they're playing music videos. And celebrity deathmatch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um... We have a segment where uh, it's called Yakuza or You Snooza. Okay. And this is basically just, uh, it's our version of a, uh, you might have heard of like a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Mm -hmm. You might have heard of that. Um, (laughs) I have heard of that. So, um, yeah, we, this is how we rate these movies because we're, uh, we're going to watch all of Miyake's films and he's got about a hundred of them now. This is all, this is a bold undertaking, my friends. So. We want to make sure we let people know which ones are the ones to seek out. And uh, so Yakuza is 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 yay. Yasnooza is the other one. Oh. So, <laughs> the other one. The other one. Brian can swear as much as he wants on the show, but you won't say nay? <laughs> nope. Okay. Goddamn right. <laughs> uh, so you're asking for, for this movie, a Yakuza or a Yasnooza? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to make the Yakuza a thumbs up because I don't like to condone violence. <laughs> but I will say... <laughs> just, Yamaha. Yamaha. Because <laughs> that was my brand of keyboard that I really liked. The sounds were a little cheesy and weird that came out of it sometimes. <laughs> but it did make beautiful music. Mm-hmm. So I'll say Yaku- uh, Yakuza. Okay. Having absolutely no basis for comparison. That's fine. Um, I'm also curious, um, as someone who who enjoys musicals, what did you think of the music in this film? Uh, You know, it's tough to really rate the singing because I spent most of the time reading the lyrics. Right. Um, There are some pretty terrible singers in this. Yes. But again, that's I don't know what is culturally different and what is just bad singing. Uh, there's, some, there's some bad singing. There's some bad singing. Like, Grandpa stands out, like, is not having, like, a great voice. Right. He's just got, like, an old man voice. He's that person when in a show you find out someone can't sing and you're like, no, just speak it. And just, right. you sing like the character. Which leads it's me to ask, singing. why didn't they dub his voice or uh, hire an actor who can sing? I think it was more about, like, being authentic the to the characters. The, right. Like, if you watch, uh, like, the movie Tommy, for example... There are some like bad singers in that movie, like mm. the like the creepy uncle doesn't have a great voice to listen to, um, but but because it's it's just that character singing. Um, so yeah, it's uh, the music in this movie I think is kind of interesting because it's not necessarily the most fun to listen to. There aren't really that many hooks. Um, yeah, it's not very good. The music yeah, isn't very it's, good. It's not by, great. By my standards it, of musicals, it's not very good music. But yeah. the movie's fun. You wouldn't necessarily want to listen to the soundtrack. No. But I think the songs are fun 
in the way that they have. Yeah, in they're the movie. funny, wacky, kitschy kind of things. Yeah, especially like like you know, like the funny ones. Sure. Uh, so Brian Yakuza, you snooza, man, you snooza. You're dumb. Really? Nah, it's not violent nah, nah. I don't know. Actually, this movie, I'm kind of in the middle on this movie. I'm not going to give it a you snooze it. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't allow you to, because that's, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> Wait, I didn't know this totally subjective question had a fucking right or wrong it answer. It depends on the movie, but I'm putting my foot down on this one. <laughs> no, I'm not going to give it a you snooze it. Oh, uh, it was, it's fun. It's cute. Uh, I, just, it, I think there's like half an hour of it you can chop out. Uh, I I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, like, pacing-wise, this one kind of moves along at a clip, unlike some of his other movies. True. True. Um, uh, we've talked about some of his movies having pacing issues in the past. Some of them mm-hmm. can be very slow. I think this one, maybe maybe one or two of the shorter songs aren't necessary. Mm. Um, but I think, like, all the romantic songs are there. I think if you're going to have to cut something, you'd have to cut from the weird, like, Richard subplot... But that's some of the best stuff in the movie because it's so dumb. God, that Richard subplot. Yeah. Um, he's he's so good at just being like this shitty con man. Yeah. And her falling for him is just hilarious to me. But um, so, yeah, I'm I'm obviously a Yakuza for this because this is one of my favorite Miyake films. And uh, no, it's good. It's cute. Yeah. It's just I sometimes hate movies that has like a, just a shit ton of fucking idiots. And this is like a family of fucking idiots. <laughs> but they're, they're idiots. You understand why they do everything that they do. Though. Yeah, yeah. They're very endearing throughout yeah, the sweet. movie. Um, like the, the family meals that they have together are, uh, uh, very naturally acted. Like it almost feels improvised in those moments. Like, like they're kind of talking over each other and it's very sweet. And they're kind of joking with each other and having these like funny moments. So, yeah, I, re- I really like this movie a lot. All right, Brian, so now we need to we need to rank this one. Yeah. So, um, at this point, we have a top ten. So I think first we should just say whether or not this will be in the top ten. And I think it definitely is. Yeah, it will be. Um, so in the first ten slots, Audition, Sukiyaki Western Django, Gozu, Crow Zero, Zebra Man, Yakuza Apocalypse, Young Thugs, Innocent Blood, Silver, Full Metal Yakuza, and Detective Story. Yo, you know what? My new number eight. Number eight? Yup. I think six is a more accurate answer. Ooh, six! I'm te- really? Yeah, I'm tempted to I'm tempted to take it higher than that. What? Yeah. This is a good movie. Bitch you crazy. Uh no, I think uh I don't think you're giving this movie enough credit. Six? Yeah. Six? Yes. That's Do you a... hear the incredulity in my voice? Yeah, I think it's misplaced. Um, because, one, you want to put it below Young Thug's Innocent Blood, a movie you fell asleep during and gave a you snooze at during <laughs> our podcast. <laughs> so, I did. Right off the bat. That did happen. You dumb. That did happen. Um... <laughs> And then above that we have Yakuza Apocalypse, which was fun, but I think we can all agree it was like a hot mess of a movie. Whereas this one is actually like like a good movie. Mm. And it's like it's easy to follow, it's fun, it's it's genuinely funny. Well Yakuza Apocalypse is a hot mess. There's a shit ton of stuff that just happens that is just awesome to watch. I would okay, I would I would do seven. Seven. 
six. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm doing a hard line on seven. That's me. Uh, no, you know what? Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to acquiesce. Woo! All right. Um, so, with some trepidation, I give you your new uh, number seven Takashi Miike movie of all time. Happiness of the Katakuris. Ow, ow! Sorry, young thugs. Innocent blood. Um, Mark, thanks for joining us. It um, was my pleasure, fellas. In this whole experience. Um, Any excuse to see you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not calling this show an excuse to see you guys. <laughs> we, we know. We know. You have real podcasts to record. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> But we appreciate you slumming it with us. I'm happy to slum it with you guys. Um, we we expect you though uh, at some point on uh, on your show to pick the best Miyake movie of all time. Oh, I already have. <laughs> it's Happiness it? of the Kamikazes. <laughs> all right, you heard it here, folks. Um. All right, so... I'm sorry, did I say that right? Happiness of the Kachina dolls. (laughs) (laughs) Happiness of the Kohis. Yeah. Oh, look at that. And that's what happened. All the way around. It's been a pleasure. All right. Brian, you got anything else? Bye, motherfuckers! That's getting cut. (laughs) Hey, it's Scott here. Um, I just wanted to uh, add a little something onto the end here. Uh, we we really enjoyed having Mark on the show, and um, I didn't give him a chance to plug his his own podcast. Um, which, in case you don't already know, and you probably do, he hosts We Got This on the Maximum Fun Network with Hal Lublin, and it's a really funny show. And you should check it out if you haven't already. And as a little bonus, uh, here's a, here's a clip of uh, Mark singing along with the karaoke love song from Happiness of the Categories. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll catch you next time. Our true chance to hearts far If you'd like to contact us at the Podkashi MiaCast, you can email us at podkashimiacast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podkashimiacast. And if you like the show, give us a rating on iTunes. We'd appreciate the feedback. Lastly, I'd like to give a special thank you to Jessica Ray for designing the logo for our show. She did a great job with that, and we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. 